good morning from me. Today we're landing our, our teaching series, as I said, that we've been journeying through together right through the autumn. Um, and we've covered a huge amount of ground, actually, during this series. So half of what I want to do today um, is for us to try and kind of go back over and retrace our steps uh, over this kind of eight-week journey and gather up some of the threads uh, from along the way. And then secondly, we're going to land the series with one final community distinctive. Okay, so first, come with me on the journey, if you like. Cast your minds all the way back to the beginning of October. If you can even go there in your head, the days were a lot warmer than they are right now. Uh, they were longer and lighter. Liz Truss was halfway through her prime ministerial <laughs> career, hard as it is to believe. Um, and we began this series with a, a sense that as we lent as a community into the winds of the Spirit afresh and um, God was wanting to give us something like a blueprint in our hands as we did so, almost like a big set of architects' uh, plans for a building. And we began week one by looking back on the story behind our church's name, Herald, uh, which was also the first prophetic word the Spirit spoke over our community as he kind of breathed it into being. And you, you might remember from this that the word herald speaks of the church's uh, mission to be not just those who proclaim a message of hope, but whose very nature and existence is itself that message. In other words, to become a countercultural community or a distinctive community. So from there, we set out on the, the journey through the series, wanting essentially to press this vision uh, a bit deeper and explore together uh, what becoming a distinctive community actually looks like for us here at Herald in 2022 and beyond in this city with all the competing visions for community being thrown at us in our secular culture. So we headed to Luke chapter 6. And Jesus' great sermon to the crowds around a Galilean mountainside where he sets out this expansive vision for the community distinctives of the people of God awaiting the kingdom of God. And we track this sermon through one step at a time. And so far we've met six community distinctives along the way. So let's do a quick flyby of Luke 6 then. I want to try and trace them all in one go for us. So first... Jesus goes up the mountain alone, prays right through the night, and at daybreak, he comes down, he calls his followers to him, and he appoints from among them each of his 12 disciples. And then he descends a bit further down the mountain until a great crowd gathers around him, people of all shapes and all sizes from far-flung corners of ancient Israel. And they've come to hear him, but mostly they've come to be healed from physical, emotional, spiritual oppression. Many of them reach out, we're told, to touch Jesus uh, physically. And as they do, power comes out of him, and in a moment, they're healed. And so before a word of the sermon is even spoken, we meet distinctive number one of God's people, both then but also now, which is to be a people of encounter. Encounter is something that we want to be unashamedly at the center of why we gather as a community at Herald. Not for pastries and coffee, great as they are. It was a shout out for the pan au chocolat today for amongst your community. Keep the feedback coming. Uh, not for good music or great conversation or great teaching even. But first and foremost, we want to gather because we believe that in the midst of all our culture has to offer, that the risen Jesus alone is where we can find healing and be set free and be transformed and find life in all its fullness. 
Before all else, we exist at Herald for personal encounter with the risen Jesus. And our desire every time we gather together, whether that's on a Sunday or whether that's at Hub, is that we would walk out different to how we come in because we met with Jesus. And by the way, this is also the greatest gift that we have to offer our city, that we're a home in which encounter with Jesus can be found, where people of all shapes and sizes from far-flung corners of our city region can meet Jesus for themselves and be transformed. So distinctive number one at Herald is being a people of encounter. Now next, Jesus addresses the crowd um, and he begins this great sermon. And he begins with a set of pronouncements to the crowd of of blessing on the one hand and woe on the other. And uh, these blessings and woes are designed essentially to subvert the status quo, the cultural norms of the day. Essentially, he pronounces woe to all those who build their lives around satisfying themselves now. Because when the kingdom comes and all things are brought into light, these seemingly full lives are going to be exposed as really empty. But he pronounces blessing on those who are dissatisfied with things as they are now. Those who fostered spiritual hunger for something more among them. Those essentially who, unlike the first group, have chosen to build their lives around the hope of a coming kingdom. These people are blessed, he says, because this hope that they have is not going to disappoint them. And so here we meet distinctive number two of God's people then and again now, today. A people of hunger. So that's something at Herald that we want to pursue in this community. We want to foster among one another. In the face of an advertising industry that does everything in its considerable power to stir up within us every single craving we have inside us for the perfect life now, fulfillment now, success now, contentment now, and play to those cravings until we're caught in that like anxiety loop that's right where they want us and ready to hand over our time and energy and money to the first person who comes knocking. Instead, at Herald, we want to learn together to resist this intense cultural pressure that's now upon us and instead foster somehow spiritual hunger where we build our lives not around striving for present comfort but around the hope of the kingdom that is coming. Now, this of course, it's not easy. In fact, it might be one of the hardest things that we go after in a culture like ours today because it means resisting some of the greatest idols of our age. But if we want to move in God's power in our city, then we need to learn somehow to foster spiritual hunger because the two go together, hunger and power. So much of our worship and our prayer and our rhythms and practices as a community in part are designed to foster in us spiritual hunger and fan it into flame. It's much of the reason that we gather and the things that we do together to foster spiritual hunger. So our second community distinctive at Herald is to be a people of hunger. Are we tracking so far? We're two down here. Yeah, great. Um, Now, as we step into encounter and foster hunger, Jesus says we also step into blessing. Uh, But the next part of Jesus's sermon makes it clear that we're blessed in order that we might extend that blessing on to others. And here Jesus is picking up on the great theme that runs right through the Bible, that God's ancient plan for renewal and recreation of our world, right back from Genesis 3, is going to come through reestablishing a people of blessing in a world of curses. A people who receive God's blessing again, yes, but then crucially extend it on to the rest of the world. 
So distinctive number three is being a people of blessing. We want to be a community where we unlearn the many ways that our culture has learned to curse one another. And instead, we want to become Jedis of blessing, right? We want to be a church that realizes that the reason we're here isn't to speak harsh words over one another or over our city, that there's plenty of that to go around without us. But we're here for blessing. We look for what we can bless. And this looks like us noticing the unnoticed, pulling a seat out at the table for the marginalized, empowering the disempowered, encouraging the discouraged. Whatever else we are, ours is a ministry of blessing. Now, part of how we learn to excel at that comes next, which is being a people of generosity. You might remember this is where Jesus kind of points us to a pathway out of that old world and into the new world of the kingdom. Uh, I don't know if you can remember those four steps. Stop, forgive, give, receive. This pathway looks like us breaking out of an endless cycle of judgment that our culture is wedded to. Practicing deep and lasting forgiveness that's at the core of our faith. And then coming with an opposite spirit. A spirit of free and gracious generosity. And in that way, we stop tearing down every imperfection we encounter around us, and we start building up with everything we have at our disposal. We give up, in other words, acting as everyone's moral police, and instead we get busy with Jesus in his work of renewal. And it's a work not of tearing the world down, but of building it back up. So our fourth community distinctive at Herald is being a people of generosity. Now, from here, Jesus comes on to those images of the blind leading the blind, uh, the apprentice sitting faithfully under their teacher, and the man who tries to remove a speck of sawdust from his brother's eye while he's got a giant beam of wood rammed into his own. And this is where we meet distinctive number five, humility. This looks like pursuing something that's increasingly countercultural in our day, giving our hearts and our trust to an authority external to ourselves. To Jesus, as the one who's won our trust and proved his wisdom and his goodness to us. And to the scriptures as the manger where we find Jesus. It also looks like us being a community where we begin at home, uh, where we put our own life jacket on before helping others. In other words, we're the quickest to ask, where does God want to teach me? Want to heal me? Want to convict me? And equally, we try and practice restraint in how we throw our opinions around about some global issue or another or the advice we have that we assume is going to be life-giving to someone else. This isn't something we're used to encountering much beyond our walls, but it's core to Jesus' vision of distinctive community. We want to be known for it here. Our fifth distinctive at Herald is being a people of humility. Are we still following? Just about. Finally, Jesus gives them this picture of trees and fruit and the basic law of nature that while a good tree will always produce good fruit, a bad tree, no matter how hard it tries, can never produce good fruit. And Jesus' point here is that if we want better fruit from our own lives, then we need nothing uh, nothing less to stick with that image than root and branch healing. In other words, we can't just reach for quick fix external displays of goodness that we can try and somehow patch onto our own lives. But we need to actually learn to store up goodness in our own hearts that it might spill over into our lives. And this is what we call healing-led discipleship. 
Gath explained last week, if we want to be healable, then uh, we also need to become vulnerable. If we want to be healable in that sense, then we also need to learn to be vulnerable. There's no healing without vulnerability. And vulnerability looks like bringing our warts and all before God, no matter how messy. Kath, you remember, led us beautifully in that uh, prayer of examine, this age-old daily practice of how we can do just that. But it also looks like us bringing our warts and all in the safety and grace of this community to trusted others among us who can hold our mess and our confessions and be a conduit to us of God's comfort and grace. So our sixth community distinctive at Herald is vulnerability. So now we're up to speed. Encounter, hunger, blessing, generosity, humility, and vulnerability. These community distinctives come right out of the playbook from this sermon. They're Jesus' vision of community for the people of God awaiting the kingdom of God. And so too, we want to adopt these as our distinctives at Herald. We believe there's something of a blueprint here for us, for our community, that we can hold in our hands as we follow the lead of the Spirit into the season ahead. When we ask, with all that's going on around us, all kinds of counter-narratives being thrown at us from our culture, how can we at Herald live into this invitation of Jesus for us to be the church here and now in all its powerful, beautiful, radical distinctiveness so that as a people encounter us across our city, they encounter a prophetic sign pointing them to a coming kingdom. Or as Walter Wink put it, a people who've begun living now the way the whole world is called to live. Ultimately, we believe the answer is that we start here, a people of encounter, people of hunger, people of blessing, people of generosity, people of humility, a people of vulnerability. And the final distinctiveness is faithfulness. So after all of that, we arrive today essentially at the climax of Jesus' sermon. And at this point, we might do well to kind of imagine ourselves into the story. So it's been a full day in Galilee, Right, Jesus has been praying through the night. He spent the morning appointing each of his 12 disciples. Presumably he spent the middle of the day in full-scale power ministry to those who are reaching out to him. We read about it, healing broken bodies, casting out demons, setting people free, all of that. And he spent the afternoon teaching them, setting out this expansive vision of community for the people of God awaiting the kingdom of God. And so we might imagine here that the light is starting to fade in the sky. People start to think about their journeys home, what they're having for tea. Some fatigue maybe sets in at this point, but they're also gripped by this deeply compelling vision they've been listening to. And they want to know how it's going to end, what it's been building to, where it's heading. And here's how Jesus lands the plane. These closing thoughts that bring the whole day to a head. We heard it read at the start. You've heard the vision now, essentially, Jesus says. You've heard everything I've got to say. You've heard what all of this actually looks like. Now, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, he says to them, and not do what I tell you? In other words, why are there still those among you who will say yes to the vision, yes to the principle of it, but no to the reality? No, to actually painstakingly reordering their lives around it. So he leaves them with this final image that we heard read of two men building a house. 
And obviously, it's a thinly veiled metaphor about putting this vision into practice, putting it into action. The second man, having, we presume, heard a detailed presentation of how to build a house properly, and one that's going to be strong and weighty and stand the test of time because it's got proper foundations to it. He nods along during the presentation, but then when it actually ends, he puts down everything that he's just heard and cracks on pretty much as he was going to at the beginning. He discards everything that he's heard, and he just starts building as he sees fit. Never mind foundations. I need a house, get some walls, get a door, windows, roof, bish, bash, bosh. Looks like a house, kind of works like a house. It's much easier and quicker than all that bother with foundations. What's the problem? And what happens, of course, is that the nearby river floods as it would have from time to time. The water which all reaches the house, the whole thing crumples in an instant. Jesus says, for impact here, the ruin of that house was great. It lies there, a crumbled mess of rubble, and wasted time and energy and money. It's all gone, and it's so tragic because it was so avoidable. But the first man, he listens to every word of this mythical house-building presentation, everything about building the house. Then he sets about methodically putting it into action. He leaves his carpentry tools for a side, uh, to one side for a minute. He picks up a spade, and he starts digging, just like he's been told. He carries on digging and digging deeper and deeper until what happens? Eventually, he breaks through the soft ground and he hits solid rock, deep under the ground. And then he clears out all the topsoil from it until he's just got this big area of solid rock where he's going to build this house. And then on this solid and movable rock, he sets about building firm, rigorous foundations. And it's a lot of work, but he's compelled by what he's just heard. So in this way, steady and methodically, the house is eventually finished. And of course, when the river floods and the waters break against his house, what happens? Jesus says, the river couldn't shake it. It was built properly. His house isn't going anywhere. In fact, it's going to be there in years to come. It's going to be the honor of his family, the heritage of his children, the pride of his life, the gift to his community. Here's Jesus' final message to the crowd. The day's over. You've had the whole vision, the mission of the church that I'm calling into being right here and now on this mountainside for the sake of the world. This is what renewal for your communities looks like. Now, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? And this time we might imagine Jesus maybe entering our own story for a moment, asking the same question here this morning. This is the end of the series and he says the same thing to us. You've heard the vision. You've heard my invitation for Herald to be a sign of hope to every corner of your city. That's the adventure that is on offer. Your city deeply impacted, your neighbors captivated, stories passed around, workplaces, local journalists inspired, people of all shapes and sizes finding home here, people with crippling anxiety finding peace, the marginalized noticed and empowered, and welcome, broken bodies healed, your friends set free, weeping on this very floor. Change lives, change communities. We can imagine him now asking this question to us. Now, do you want to actually see it? And if so, are you willing to actually do it? It's like he asks us, are you going to head home, have some lunch, and carry on pretty much as you were at the beginning of October? Are you going to resolve to do it? 
Are you going to take this blueprint that I've given you and methodically build your life around it? Are you going to lean into this community that it might become in time all of those things? Do you want to see it through your life in this place with these people? People of encounter, people of hunger, blessing, generosity, humility, vulnerability, and yes, finally, a people of faithfulness. And this is what faithfulness means. It means not just liking the vision of it, not just liking it in principle as an idea. It means actually doing it, actually building the house right where you are, these people around you, starting now and seeing it through. So the seventh community distinctive at Herald, and maybe this is the most important, is being a people of faithfulness. Now, there's two aspects to what this word faithfulness means for us at Herald. Firstly, it's about doing it. Secondly, it's about doing it together. So firstly, doing it. This is about us being a community of doers. That's our predisposition. We talked in this series about how the problem in our culture isn't that it's not clamoring enough for justice and beauty and goodness and peace. There's plenty of that. This generation's beautifully idealistic. They want an end to poverty, corruption, scandals, gender oppression, racial injustice, the climate crisis, and they want it now, and so they should. But the point is that the problem of our culture isn't found in a lack of ideals. Ideals it has in spades. What's missing, what our culture desperately needs, is a people willing to spend the ordinary moments of their lives tirelessly working and serving and giving, sacrificing and loving others Monday through Sunday towards that end. It doesn't need more idealism. It needs a people of faithfulness. One of the things I love about the vineyard movement to which we belong is this predisposition to be doers of the stuff. This is one of the mantras of John Wimber who uh, was the core part found in the vineyard movement nearly 50 years ago now. He was adamant that the power in the Christian life wasn't found in just listening to ideas, even reading the Bible, but it was found when we go and actually do the things that we read about, to live them out. That's where there's power. That's when we meet Jesus. That's when we grow. That's when we get to see all the fun stuff. And so we want to be a community minded towards the doing at Herald. When we open a Bible, the Bible on a Sunday, we always want to ask questions like, so what? What does this look like for us tomorrow in work with our family? How do we actually practice this? It's the same when we gather in hubs. If we're going to do a Bible study, they ought to be a little bit dangerous like because we're ready to go and actually do something about it afterwards. We should be reading the Bible with our shoes on and our bags packed. And we want to think of our faith, too, as essentially an apprenticeship uh, to Jesus, which is really a better translation of that word we often call discipleship, apprenticeship to Jesus. And being people who resolve to actually practice the way of Jesus in our own lives. That's how the early church were known, by the way, practices of the way. I love that. So if you want to see this vision for distinctive community become reality, you might want to start thinking about the concrete practices that you can begin to put into your life to align yourself towards those things more fully. Maybe a good starting place is to think about one practice for each of these seven areas, encounter, hunger, blessing, generosity, humility, vulnerability, and faithfulness. Okay, so faithfulness is us, about us being a community of doers. Absolutely, those who do the stuff. 
But secondly, and we're going to land here, it involves us doing it together. In other words, it involves us pursuing something like covenant community here at Herald. I've struggled for language here at this point to best describe what I'm talking about. Something like rootedness, something like a quality of permanence among us. Now, I'm not going to spend uh, time today breaking down the pervasive effect of individualism in our culture. We've done that plenty through this series. But at a basic level, we live in a culture in which it's impossible now, really, for us to not think primarily as individuals about my wants, my needs, my choices. And the result is that the reality of something like rich covenant community, which not so long ago wouldn't have been so uncommon, it's now virtually impossible for us to find almost anywhere in the West. When we talk about covenant community, we're talking about a community whose members retain their individuality, but in some sense have freely submitted themselves to one another. So that what matters most, what becomes most primary is our wants, our needs, our choices together. And in our culture of individualism, which by the way is probably of all the characteristics of our secular age, maybe the single most defining characteristic. Covenant communities become a distant memory. Marriage is perhaps the last surviving example of it, and yet even that is in massive decline now in the West. But beyond marriage, the thought of, in some sense, meaningfully submitting our lives to one another in community for the sake of community is increasingly anathema in our culture. And yet the fact is that a covenant community is what most of us are still desperate for, still longing for. I know I am. Our culture of individualism has handed us a world of unparalleled options, right? And with it, unmatched mobility and short-termism, where every few years most people move to the next job or the next opportunity or the next house purchase, the next life change. And when they do, often friendships and community get a reboot along with them. And child of individualism as I am, there's a part of me that's terrified of losing that option in my own life, truth be told. But there's also another part, a deeper part, that's hungry for so much more than that. That longs for rootedness, that longs to find people to journey with, people to grow old with. People who are bound to sort of sticking together through all the seasons of life. People who I stick by and who stick by me, even when it costs something. And when I think about a life well lived, honestly, when I think about that, the number one thing I think about and a rich life that I long for is that I would find a community like that. And I think many of us feel the same too. It's just that it feels so out of reach for us so much of the time. Kath and I were on holiday this summer with some good friends of ours who live in a, another city and they've recently joined a new church community and they've been loving it. And it's brought their faith back to life again after a difficult period. And the church is right around the corner from their house. So it's super local and it's full of uh, people just like them in their stage of life, friends that they naturally click with and they're loving it. And they feel committed to it. And one night we were on holiday and we were sitting around celebrating all that that community had been to them over the last year. And, you know, you can imagine white wine, olives, nice view. It was a good, you know, end of the holiday. Rosie starts reflecting on this whole experience. And, and she said something in that conversation that stuck with me ever since. And I've been thinking about right through this 
series, I feel like God wants to speak something to us through. She said, it has been amazing. It has been amazing. It does kind of feel right now like the real deal, like church should be. We love it. We believe in the vision. But then she just expressed this hankering concern. Are we just there because it works for us right now? And we were all like, what do you mean, Rosie? Even Dave, her husband, was like, what do you mean? And she said, well, think about it. So far in our journey into this community, it hasn't actually cost us anything at all. But what would happen if it did? If for some reason being part of this community ceased to work for us, for our lifestyle, our stage, our practical needs, what would we honestly do then? She carried on, I'd like to think that we'd stay and dig in um, because, we, because of our belonging to this community. But this nagging question, would we? Would we actually do that? And what she was saying in effect was, this community looks like the real thing right now. It, it looks like a house. It works kind of like a house. It looks like rich community, but is it really? Or is it just a community bonded together by temporary convenience? And it was such a fascinating conversation uh, for me um, because she was stumbling, I think, across what is increasingly one of the profound existential questions of our age and one we need to urgently ask about our churches. Here's the thing. We are missing a crucial piece of the puzzle if we talk about Jesus' vision for his people, for distinctive community, and admit this part about covenant community, about a resolve to do it together. We've talked before about how God's plan for renewal in our world doesn't look like him calling a bunch of individuals to a series of solo projects. It always looks like him calling a community together into a group project. And his invitation is always firstly an invitation to us to be bound in community with one another. And so almost unimaginable as it is now in our secular age, if we are to be the church today in all the ways we've been talking about, the real deal then somehow along the line, we are going to have to reckon with the death we need to die to our culture of individualism. In order that we might grow to become something more than a community of convenience, but the real thing, a divinely inspired, freely entered covenant community, something with a quality like rootedness, like permanence. Now, I understand that this isn't for everyone. It can't possibly be. And even when it is, it has to be a miracle. It has to be the Lord. But honestly, if we were to leave this part out, then we'd be selling this vision for distinctive community hopelessly short. One of the things that we have to open ourselves to letting God build among us at Herald is a covenant community, a people of faithfulness who've resolved not only to do the stuff, but also by hook or crook to do it together. Many of you will have had a wild ride over the last few years through COVID and then out the other side, trying to figure out which way is up and which way is down in your life. I know I have. And maybe there have been moments where the getting off the bus has looked like by far the most attractive option. But my sense is what the Spirit is calling many of us to right now, myself included, is to a fresh invitation to rootedness to be open to him leading us into covenant community whose power is going to be in his permanence. One last thing and then we'll pray. When Kath and I moved to plant um, the church, I remember one of the things we heard back from God again and again right at the beginning was not to be in a rush. 
but to focus on building firm foundations that would last for the long haul. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't know at the time what was going to come, that uh, the four years that we've had, a global pandemic and all of that stuff, and that it would feel today like we're just getting started still. But over and over, my sense has been that God is not in a rush, that his dream is bigger than ours, that it's to grow people over decades rather than months, over generations even. And just like in Jesus' closing story of the house builder, he's looking for a people who are going to spend their lives methodically building a house that will stand the test of time. It's going to be the honor of their lives, the heritage of their children, whose foundation will be the miracle of covenant community. And he's looking for a people of faithfulness. So why don't we stand now and we're going to finish this whole series praying together. Let's be still for a moment. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you here now. And Spirit, you, you led us into this series and we pray you would come now. Speak over our hearts all you want to say. Just want to make room now for you. We want to make space for you in our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way. We want to be fertile ground for your vision, Lord. And let's wait in stillness for a moment. Just welcome, Holy Spirit however you know how. Come, Lord Jesus.